I am born and raised in the county of Dade. My parents are Haitian born. Um, they came from Haiti over here to the States and I watched them work. I watched them. the aspect of my mom telling me, you're Haitian, yeah. you're not black, you're not African American, you are Haitian. Mm -hmm. But that becomes a disconnect when I go outside and I get threatened by somebody yeah. who's of the same skin complexion as me. Because at the end of the day, police brutality affects black people. Mm -hmm. It affects people with the same skin yeah. tone, whether you're Haitian or not. Right, it doesn't right. care about that part. Right. No bullets. We can we can do everything we can against the outside forces, but if we're gonna treat ourselves like our own people that way, I remember the police officer stepping out. It was a white Hispanic woman who taking a gun off the holster to her holding that to my forehead. And I'm 11, but. I understand bullets kill people, you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, That's all I really yeah. need to know. That's the math that you do as a young person once you get into that situation. And I remember freaking out, I remember crying, and I remember her talking about, I don't want to cuss on your platform, but I remember her just pretty much saying, I could end this all right here. Yeah. I remember her putting cuffs on my wrist and throwing me in the back of the car and us riding around through areas where I knew racism existed, where I knew that's where bad stuff would likely happen to me if as a black person. And I remember freaking out because I didn't know what, what, what I did to end up in this situation. I didn't know what I did to really deserve this, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I'm hysterical in the back seat and I remember her taking me home and telling my, my mom and dad a completely different story. Oh, he was, you know, he was acting up. We just wanted to teach him a lesson, not saying what they actually did. Well, one, and this is a black man talking to the black boy inside of yeah. me, that it's okay to be emotional. Yeah. It's okay to have freaked out, it's okay to have cried, and it's okay mm -hmm. to have told whatever adult that you needed to tell to make this situation right. So if that meant this happened to you and then you run back to the police station and you go and tell mm -hmm. the mother officer yeah, that yeah, this yeah. woman did this because you right. knew who the officer was. Right. This person who always saw you every single day. So. The Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash edtalks and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, and entertainers. So download a free trial today and start listening. It's that easy. Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash edtalks. How's it going, everyone? Thank you for tuning in to the Unlimited Power Show. This show is all about how do you take a holistic approach to your life. So my mission here is to bridge the stories of people, their experiences, their knowledge and wisdom uh, through a form of a show, through a form of a conversation. And at the end of the show, I want something from here to inspire you to act on your passion, act on your dreams, or simply act on your personal development. My name is Edouard Gilles, and today I have the absolute pleasure of introducing to you all McKenzie. How you doing today, brother? I'm doing really good, really good, man. How y'all doing, everyone out there? Thank you for tuning in to such a great and prestigious platform. 
So, you know, one thing I always say, like, on this platform, what we like to do is we like to allow you to give yourself a quick introduction, right? And then before we go into the conversation. So tell us a little bit more about what you do, your background, and a quick overview of what has molded you to becoming what you are today. All right, so I am born and raised in the county of Dade. My parents are Haitian born. Um, they came from Haiti over here to the States and I watched them work, I watched them hustle, I watched them do everything that they can to provide. All the while living in a certain time frame where being Haitian wasn't was frowned upon. Yeah. I know if you're familiar with how Soul Pound came about, yeah. it came about really more as a reaction to how Haitians were being treated in the city, mm -hmm. in the, um, the local areas. Yeah. So going to school, we used to get jumped every day. Yeah, yeah. So I was part of that whole group of kids who, mm -hmm. you went to school, oh, they're going to them stink Haitians, yeah, things those. You know, you ended up fighting. They even called us African booty scratchers, the classic. You know, they called us everything <laughs> under the book, but that's the, the era that I grew up under. Um, but I've been through a great deal of experiences that have kind of molded me, and I guess they come full circle now with Become a Threat. I have dealt with situations of facing homelessness. I have dealt with situations of police aggressiveness and brutality and having a, even having a gun pulled to my head by a police officer at 11 years old. A lot of those things kind of shaped the way that I feel, the way that I look at the whole system in general and how my place in it can be. How, how can I affect the system to the point where no one has to go through what I've gone through as a young person? Mm -hmm. yeah, that's powerful. It's like, you know, I'm a Haitian brother as well, and... I'm saying it, not boule, like I'm a, like I'm a Yankee. <laughs> or, I'm not going to use that word. Like I know I'm, what you I'm, mean, though. <laughs> like, like I'm an African-American, but... Um, growing up Haitian, how was that for you? Like, I would never trade that experience for the world. There's a certain energy, a certain spirituality that comes with being Haitian. And that's not just because they send us to church every single day. My, pa my mom was, you go to church Monday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah. Like, I had no days off. No and days off. Saturday, and then I would go with them on the weekends to the swap shop in yeah. Fort Lauderdale. And then right after that, go right back to church. It was almost like a punishment in itself. But I think being raised around that type of spirituality possibly did keep me out of harm's way. Yeah. Because there were a lot of situations that I thought about where I was like, I don't think I, I should have made it out of there, but there is something more. There is something that manifests itself that keeps you safe and keeps you sound because your mom is at home praying for you. And you probably had that happen. Your mom just calls you yeah. randomly like, my poor poo, yeah. just to make sure that you're good. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, and I think that really, there really is a spirituality that comes with being Haitian. There really is a certain energy that comes with our, our being and our yeah. nationality. Yeah, that's true. It's, it's, they say lakai liko ligdis. The three L's, right? Yeah, the three L's. Um, and, you know, if you're Haitian, it's like that's part of the culture. Absolutely. So tell us about growing up Haitian, growing up in your Haitian household. How was that? How was that experience like for you? So, first things first, a lot of weapons. <laughs> I was a middle child, and, you know, as a middle child, sometimes they kind of. You're too, you're mm -hmm. too young to be considered older, but then mm -hmm. you're too old to act like a baby. So you're already there. Man, my parents are very traditional, so it wasn't a lot of snacks. You know what I mean? It was a lot of you niggim, bouillon, rice. Everything you did was pretty much from the, the Haitian background. Like 
the stuff that they purchased, everything that they took care of, what your focuses were, which is school and church, like you said, mm -hmm. like I like Um But there's also the aspect of my mom telling me, you're Haitian. Yeah. You're not black. You're not African-American. You are Haitian. Mm -hmm. But that becomes a disconnect when I go outside and I get threatened by somebody yeah. who's of the same skin complexion as me. Because at the end of the day, police brutality affects black people. Mm -hmm. It affects people with the same skin yeah. tone, whether you're Haitian or not. Right, it doesn't right. care about that part. Right, right. When the bullets fly, it's not asking, oh, it's not checking this your skin tone. It's going at you, and that's really it. So how do you express that to you know, your mother figure, like mom? It's more than that. You, you're wrong. You can't necessarily tell your mom you're wrong, but you got to kind of get her to understand that it's deeper than that. It's deeper than just, I can just act like I'm Haitian and ignore what's, what my brother and my brethren are going through. You know yeah, what I mean? I mean, because here's the thing, like when we was talking about the dy dynamic between African-American and Haitian, like, Absolutely. you know, like the word Yank slip, slipped out and I talked about Zoe because that's the reality of like, right. of how you was, how you would be categorized. But there was always this disassociation between, oh, I'm, bah I'm Bahamian, I'm Jamaican, I'm from mm -hmm. the Turks and Caicos, I'm from Miami, Florida. And you know, it's like okay, well, I, I'm I'm black, but I'm not your black, right? You know, so, so when you think about blackness, is there is there a difference between okay, I'm 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 from this island, I'm, or or are we all a one unit? I mean, if you're living on your island, then you can say whatever you want is your difference. Yeah. Like so, if you're living in Saint Croix Virgin Islands, when you're there, all right, fine. Whatever you say, the difference is there. That's cool. But when we all get here. In the United States, where right. the, the the police brutality is happening, where we all become the victim, right. then it doesn't really matter what type of black you are anymore. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like you 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 can be in danger just the way I can be in danger, and we need to be standing on one united front as opposed to thinking, well, I'm not that type of black over there. Like it's just, it's a strange type of almost colorism that doesn't need to mm -hmm. exist. It's kind of silly and it's mm -hmm. it's it's a fallacy if you if you want to ask me. Mm -hmm. So. You're black, right? Not only you're black, you're you're taller than I am. You're taller, and you, you look like a threat, like some people would say. Yeah. Because you know you might even be though you said threats don't mean nothing. But you know you get my point on that later. Yeah. Um, you have dreads, mm -hmm. which in the Haitian community they say vagabond. Oh man, listen. And then now there's a dreadlock ban for some. You know, mm -hmm. it's ego to ban somebody from having a job mm -hmm. because of their dreadlock. So do you feel like uh, the cases have been stacked against you? Have you been prejudiced? Or do you fall victim to that? Or how are, are you a victor saying that, you know, this is not going to stop me from doing what I do and this doesn't define me? What do you think about that? I think because I'm not going to act like I've had dreads my entire life. I didn't, I want to say I grew them, I started growing them in 2015. Mm -hmm. And it was more like a spirit, it was a spiritual thing for me just right. to have a new Samson. form of a journey. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. See, you read your Bible, Legalese for real. Okay, um, but it was also just, just wanting to feel myself be connected to myself more. Yeah. Um, as a per, as growing up, I feel like, yeah, I had church, but I never really had a, a, a personal journey, and I think that's what it was all about—having that personal journey and growing from that. And I've seen the treatment actually changed. So for me, I grew my dreads, and it seemed like people were like, okay, 
it fits you. It actually fits you. I, but I've also seen how they treat people who don't have dreads. Um, one of um, my company that I work with, I brought in young men who fit the bill, who can do the work, who have the credentials, but they have what the Day County dreads are, where you have like three or four dreads put together, and it becomes really thick. So they have like three big dreads to stick and out of everyone be like, oh, I don't know if this person fits the bill anymore. Mm -hmm. But it's only because of that, that hairstyle. Mm -hmm. And to me, it's silly because do you want someone who can do a job for you? Right. Or do you want someone who can look pretty for you? Because we can find someone to look great all the time. But what does pretty mean? You know, what does oh, yeah, looking exactly. good mean? That's, that's, yeah. that's a subjective yeah. concept. You know, Absolutely. If, you know, that's a subjective concept. And sometimes people would see you and they would judge you based on how you look. So tell me about a time where like you got judged either by a cop or by whatever and that, that, that led to a circumstance that didn't... I, really... I'll do you one better than that. Yeah. I'll tell you about a time when I was at Barbershop Speaks. Okay. And I walked in and I was with Justin. Mm -hmm. Now, if you see me and Justin, shout out to my boy Job Black in the background yeah. with the, the camera and the laptop. Obviously, he's a clean cut brother just like yourself, yeah. clean cut, mm -hmm. glasses, had a suit on at the time. I come into the event, dashiki on. I had I have golds on. Mm -hmm. I had my dreads up in the, up in the air, mm -hmm. and they were twisted, but they were up. Yeah, yeah. And him introducing me to someone, and the person not wanting to shake my hand. Mm -hmm. Him talking to that person when that person said, "Oh, we need a young black men like yourself to help out with the young brothers," and him saying, "You should definitely talk to McKenzie," and that person saying, "We know he ain't graduated from school," mm -hmm. when that's not the case. That's not the case. Mm -hmm. And it was amazing to see that from someone who comes from our background, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Who was Haitian. I know they were Haitian. I know they're, they're, they're African-American. I mean, I know they're black. I know their skin tone. I know that you're supposed to be one of us, but for you to make that judgment based off of just looking at me, mm -hmm. not knowing I'm the other half of Become a Threat, not knowing that we, could, we came up with that together. Right. You know what I mean? And that says a lot. And I think that story speaks volumes to where we are as a people and how we need to kind of break that ourselves. Break that you know? stigma. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We can we can do everything we can against the outside forces, but if we're gonna treat ourselves like our own people that way, then we're never gonna get anywhere. So why do you think that is? Like why why do we do that? Why do we do that? Yeah. Part of it, um, with Haitian people, you know, Haitian people they already don't I mean, care. I think for we've been programmed guys. for that though. Absolutely. We've been programmed for it. Um, personal preference sometimes. Attraction can play a factor in things right now. Like, if I don't like you, you could like someone with dreads and then not like another person with dreads based on what you think of that person. You know what I mean? Um, I think a lot of people are swayed whenever they have a conversation with me. They're like, oh, wow, this person is a little more mm -hmm. enlightened. I've had people who have met me and then followed my Instagram and said, I'm not going to lie, I thought your Instagram was going to be full of memes and jokes and nothing but silly stuff. But mm -hmm. as I began to follow you and see what you post, that you're a very insightful person, regardless of what your Instagram name is, what your handles are, you actually talk about some very deep stuff and you're more of a, a philosophical mm -hmm. thinker. Yeah. And I think I'm fine with that because I've grown up going through that experience. Mm -hmm. um, as I mentioned before, having a gun to your head from a police officer will kind of shift a lot of your thinking. Right. You know what I mean? Facing death at an early age will shift a lot of your thinking. Certain experiences that we have shifts a lot of your thinking. Um, I think me and Ja talked about it where it's a form of post-traumatic stress in itself. The Some of the things that you probably saw as a young man growing up that you shouldn't have seen. Right. You know what I mean? So we think differently off-rip. We go into classrooms thinking differently off-rip than our, our white counterparts or Hispanic counterparts or Asian, whatever the case may be, you know? 
Hey, you mentioned something like people judge you right off of sight rather than insight, which is, you know, you can see with your eyes, but when you when you see with your um, intuition, what's inside of you, it's you, you kind of understand more. You have a deeper meaning. Mm -hmm. So tell us about more of what's inside, you know, because now we're talking a lot of exterior being black, you know, having the hair. So like, what do you what do you believe in? What's your purpose? What are you what are you going for? What is the movement all about? I think Become a Threat is it's meant to change the idea of what the standards are. So we celebrate doctors, we celebrate lawyers, we celebrate advocates of health and mental health of people who are helping the community in various ways, right? We celebrate people like you, but you don't happen to fit the norm because your skin is similar to our skin. Mm -hmm. You would be perceived as a threat if a, police pull, a policeman pulled up on you. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And that's not fair. Not only is it not fair, we, they have no right to do that to you, and there's no reason why we shouldn't celebrate you while you're here. So right. that's what we go around doing. We go around celebrating amazing people who are doing the right thing and going around helping and changing lives every single day, but don't get the credit for it. Mm -hmm. you, so need, you need your flowers or you can still smell mm -hmm. them, my brother. <laughs> you're right. So that's what you do in the organization. So why is the, what's the reason why behind that? Why do you do it? Why do I do it? What led you to doing this? I think just, I've always been a person who likes to play shadows, who, who prefers, you know, I, I'll just be over here coming up with cool ideas and you just run with it. in the it. background. Right. Yeah. I prefer that. Um, Justin will tell you, Job Black will tell you, when we first started, everyone assumed literally like, okay, Justin has become a threat. And I had nothing to do with it. And I was cool with that. I was like, look, bro, I mean, I'll support you. In <laughs> I mean, I'm going to say when I met you with Justin when I was at the event, right. you, you, you told me that you want to be in the background. Yeah. So, like you said, yeah, I'm just in the background. I don't want out. Like, I'm going to just let Justin be up front. So do you think that, you know, it's people that's doing it or is it more of um, like you're kind of like giving that vibe? One, I, th I think it's a little bit of both. I think what happened was... The death of Nipsey Hussle really had an effect on me. Mm. Um, uh, I'm a super big fan of Nipsey Hussle, like since high school. Yeah. And his death, because I was coming back from work in Atlanta yeah. when I found out he died. So literally the first day I was back, before I even like settled and put my bags down, right. Nipsey Hussle got shot. And everyone in the room said it. And for me, I was like, hold on, everyone, stop what y'all doing. What just happened? Mm -hmm. You know, that was a big deal for me. And then to find out he passed away, and now everyone is looking at the work that he did outside of the music because everyone just knew him as a rapper, a gangbanger, things of that nature. But he really was out here helping people. Mm -hmm. No matter how you want to spin it, whether he was a gang member or not, he really was out here trying to make a difference. Mm -hmm. And I thought about the fact that I always like to play, to play background. And I always had people say, you, you need to step up front. You need to do this. Even Justin telling me, you need to step up front and show your face. And... After his death, it just made me realize how can I really push us? How can I really push if I'm just gonna stay back here? Mm -hmm. I'm not. I'm not doing my full potential. I'm not realizing that, and I'm not acknowledging that, and I'm not helping become a threat and get any better if I'm gonna stay back here. Right. So, I noticed the moment that I started to do it. All of a sudden, people who who I guess look like me, who had the dreads, who had the golds, mm -hmm. started messaging me like, "I'm proud of you for stepping out because you make me feel more comfortable now." Mm. And now it's not just about me wanting to step out into the light. It's about the people that are also pushing me and 
want to follow my my half of the become a threat because me and Justin created the yin and yang effect. Right, right. Like he he represents one aspect. He represents the the street smart. And I'm proud of him. He represents the streets books. He represents the political science. He represents the knowledge of become a threat, and I represent the philosophy of become a threat. I represent the connection to the people when it comes to become a threat. We are two sides of the same coin, and that's how we represent. Mm -hmm. And both of you using your image, using your your area of expertise, your strong point, and your past experiences to kind of make a difference. Absolutely. That you're using your image to get, to empower someone like you to say, oh, he's doing this. Like, oh, he's, he's, he's doing that. I can do it. What's mm -hmm. the importance of sharing your story and your background? What do you, how important do you think that is? I think no matter how hard we try, we connect to somebody else. We are connected to somebody else, whether it be through a story, whether it be through one particular experience, we can connect with someone. And we, you had a conversation before we even started this yeah. where you encouraged me to understand that, look, you may say something that someone across the, the waters yeah. in another area may listen to and connect with on a personal level. And I think that's it's definitely real. I think. As I've, as I've begun to tell my story more and more, I've begun to see people slowly but surely connect with what I'm saying and say, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about on a personal level. And I thought I was the only one who, gone through, who had gone through what I've gone through. Yeah. And the more that I'm seeing that there are people who share my experiences, the more that I'm touched by that and the more that it, it wants me, it makes me want to represent, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And you know what you just said is the pivotal part. I thought I was the only one going through what I'm going through. Right. That's what people need. That's why people need to hear the stories because they can say, oh, I'm not the only one. And oh, wait, this guy turned his, his pain into a passion? So I said mm. there's two ways of connection, right. a passion or a pain. Right. Why? Somebody has to connect with your vision or they have to connect with your struggle, both of which is working together in joint to empower somebody to have a bigger vision, to chase a vision, and get out of struggling. You are a deep brother. I just got to say that, bro. You're a deep brother. Go ahead, go ahead. So, go ahead. so tell us how, tell us about some of your pains, like some of the things that you've endured. Um, you know, we had that conversation earlier. I know it can be hard to get deep into it. Uh, it's like opening up some scars. Um, but tell us about some of the experiences that you went through. Well, okay. So, I know we talk about police brutality and I mentioned it, but I remember being 11 years old and where I lived at, um, right there, 87th Street, Northeast 3rd Avenue. It's like my house, police station. Right behind the police station is the park where all the kids go to play. Remember being 11 years old and going to the park, sometimes we jump the fence, that's a normal thing. They never really said anything to us, but this particular day, I remember a police officer pulling up and I don't know what it was, in my spirit, you know, once again, it goes back to the spirit. Yeah. The spirit is what tell you, told me to run. Mm -hmm. I ran, but I didn't get far. I remember the police officer stepping out. It was a white Hispanic woman who, I guess you would say, leaned more towards the Caucasian group. Mm -hmm. And she had shades on. I definitely remember that because the very next second, it literally went from her getting out of the car to her on taking a gun off the holster to her holding that to my forehead. And I'm 11, but I understand bullets kill people. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, That's yeah. all I really yeah. need to know. That's the math that you do as a young person 
once you get into that situation. And I remember freaking out. I remember crying. And I remember her talking about, I don't want to cuss on your platform, but I remember just pretty much saying, I could end this all right here. Yeah. I remember her putting cuffs on my wrist and throwing me in the back of the car and us riding around through areas where I knew racism existed. Where I knew that's where bad stuff would likely happen to me if as a black person. And I remember freaking out because I didn't know what, what, what I did to end up in the situation. I didn't know what I did to really deserve this, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I'm hysterical in the back seat, and I remember her taking me home and telling my, my mom and dad a completely different story. Oh, he was, you know, he was acting up. We just wanted to teach him a lesson, not saying what they actually did. Right, right. And my parents, understanding that there was something wrong, but the fact that I was there was enough for them. Mm -hmm. Because I was the middle child, and I was kind of the kid where if the older, if one of my other siblings got in trouble, they said, oh, my God, what happened? But if I got in trouble, it was like, well, what did he do? What did he do now? I was that kid. Yeah. But I also thought to myself, how do I even tell this to my mom? Mm -hmm. She's also a person who, who, who views, you know, the, the, the system a certain way. If I tell her this and she just looks at it as I did something wrong, then what's the purpose of me talking to her in the first place? So this is something I carried that burden for years, you know? Mm -hmm. And you told me that you didn't really talk about it. I didn't. Yeah. How do you talk about it, especially at 11? How do you learn how to express that at 11 years old? Because it's, that's, that's something else that is important. How do you learn how to express your feelings in a certain way? How do you learn how to formulate those words? Like, I was attacked by a police officer, a person who's meant to protect or serve at 11. Mm -hmm. Who, who do I go to mm -hmm. in that case? How do I go to them? What are they supposed to do? Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know the answers to that. And I never knew the answers to that at the time. Mm -hmm. So I kind of just went through life with a, a lot of anger on my heart. Just really like awesome NWA after the police. Mm -hmm. I wasn't starting trouble, but I saw a cop and my blood boiled. Mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't until... Recently, like seeing people who are going through the same struggles outside and just create and become a threat to most recently one of our own friends from me for years. Um, shout out to Christopher. He was a victim of police abuse. We had to we had to post a video all through social media. We got the city of Miami to look at it. And for me, that's when it hit me the most that I don't want to see no one go through that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I went through that. Yeah. Hearing him say, I'm just glad my son didn't have to watch that, you know? That's the part that hit me. Mm -hmm. And you said something deep. You said, like, I saw a cop and my, 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 my blood boiled. Yeah. Like, I saw a cop and I got heat up. I saw yeah. a cop and I got adrenaline and just fear right. and anxiety. Right. That's fight or flight, right? It's like you see, you see a line coming your way, you got oh, to right. run. That's stress. So the... That's a lot of stress being black, you know. That's did you feel like you were a threat your whole life just because of that, or did did that? How did that impact the way you you moved and facilitated throughout the world? So, but prior to that point, I was always a kid who wasn't like I, I didn't have a lot of friends. I, yeah. you know, I just was anime, mm -hmm. <laughs> video games, go to the park. Mm -hmm. That's about it. I was cool with that. Um, then I had 
I go I started going to Horseman Middle School. Yeah, yeah. And anyone who's gone to Horseman Middle School will tell you that's one of the wildest schools to go to. So literally not long after going through this experience, I'm now at Horseman mm-hmm. where people are getting beat up for being Haitian. You know what I mean? So now I'm dealing with the like, dang, police officers did this. Now people of my own color are now attacking me for for just being being Haitian, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And having to fight through that. So it was a really wild experience. Who could I talk? Like it really was. It really did come yeah. down to who could I really talk to? Mm-hmm. Who would understand those dynamics? You know what I mean? It wasn't until eighth grade, you know, when all of a sudden Haitians become fly. Everybody who was hiding that the fact they were Haitian mm-hmm. pulled out their flags. Mm-hmm. That I started to feel a little more more comfortable to want to talk about these stories. But still, I didn't know who to talk to. Like I said, it wasn't until I literally start seeing people suffer from the way I suffered. Who, who had gone through it. People getting killed in front of their families and their children, where I really was like, wow, like, if anything, I got off easy compared to these people. So I, who am I to hold my story back? I need to tell the story for some of these people. I need to tell the story for some people in the city of Miami, because it's been happening abroad, but it hasn't happened often in, in Miami. You know what I mean? But it can happen, and I'd rather it not happen to any of us. And, and you know, speaking of using that story to bridge and have impact, what what do you know now that you wish you knew then? What like, did you know, I? As far as like dealing with that, or like, what did you wish that you, information that you wish that you, you wish you know knew back then that you know now? Well, one, and this is a black man talking to the black boy inside of yeah. me that mm-hmm. it's okay to be emotional. Yeah, it's okay to have freaked out. It's okay to have cried, and it's okay mm-hmm. to have told whatever adult that you needed to tell to make this situation right. So if that meant this happened to you and then you run back to the police station and you go and tell mm-hmm. the mother officer yeah, that yeah, this yeah. woman did this because right. you knew who the officer was. Right. This person who always saw you every single day. So the fact that they did this almost was like a premeditated kind of thing. Like you knew you knew who I was before you did that to me. Mm-hmm. And you knew what kind of effect that, that could possibly have on me. Mm-hmm. And you didn't care when you did it. So I would tell that, that young version of myself, don't be afraid to go out and voice that. Mm-hmm. This is just the start. You Trust me, you're going to be leading the way on a lot of these things for some people. So go out there and express yourself and tell that story. Tell your mom and dad, and if, believe it or not, if they don't necessarily get it, then you go and you tell your older brother or you tell your older sibling or you tell one of the older kids on the block who can possibly help you. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe they have gone through it and no one just, they didn't have no one to talk to either, you know. But don't hold that to yourself and don't harbor it for the next several years mm-hmm. and let it sit in your heart. Because it will kill your soul. I guarantee you that. Anyone who's holding some type of pain on the inside, don't harbor it for too long. It will eat you alive. Yeah. But it, it's literally eating you alive. Right. Like, like physiologically. Yeah. Psychologically, fear right. is literally eating you inside. Re- regret is literally eating you inside. Worry. All of these are actually... Um, things that affect us physically. Blame, like you blame yourself. Blame, or oh, blame is even worse. Guilt. Mm. Now, yeah. guilt even is even worse. You know, when we talked about when we talked with Job Lot, we talked about um, the importance of counseling, and mm. what you just said is a version of counseling. Just talking to different people, just right. just expressing that. Right. Um, so that's definitely the like a really great advice that if you're tuning in, listen to that. You know, find someone that can hear you and really talk to them in your time of need. So, like, what else would you have told yourself? 
Yeah, if we're gonna get on the, the subject of, of blame, don't, don't blame yourself for what happened to you. That's mm -hmm. not your fault. No one told, you didn't tell yourself to be a victim that day. You were doing what you always thought. You were doing something that every other kid in the neighborhood did, you know? So you shouldn't feel ashamed. You shouldn't, you shouldn't hate yourself. And yeah, you were the middle child, but that, that had nothing to do with you being the middle child. That was just some, a wrong that was done to you. Mm -hmm. So it's okay. It's definitely okay. Mm. It, it, was, it isn't until years later when it's, it finally dawns on you that, yeah, you start shedding those tears and those emotions when you're by yourself and it's really clicking for you. Mm -hmm. Or when you're watching, you know, Sterling, who got shot, mm -hmm. you know, or, or, or Mr. Brown, Eric Brown, I believe it is, where he got choked out by police. Wow. Like, when you're seeing those type of yeah, things. It happens really right. over and over. Right. And... It, it isn't until that where it's like, yo, that could have been me. That could have been you, you know? And, and that's what I would tell you. Like, that could be you. And you don't want that to be the case. And you don't want to harbor those feelings. So, yeah. Yeah. So, definitely take, take note of that, you know? Take note of that. You know, I, I myself, sometimes, like, you feel, you feel guilt. You feel guilty. You feel anxious. You feel worried. You don't know what the future holds. But... I think like growing yourself, personal development is like a very important component, right? So what do you do now to feed into your mind things that, that allow you to see the world from a different perspective? Um, and you're a poet as well, right? Right. Uh, so tell us a little bit more about the art of poetry and you know ways that you've grown through poetry and different things that you've done for your personal development uh, in addition to you know expressing yourself through, through that art of poetry. Okay, so um, I've written more or less my whole life. I think I didn't get into like mm -hmm. spoken word until my high school years. Mm -hmm. And once I got into it, it was really about, it really was a form of self-therapy, like being able to write my feelings down and recite them to myself. And I remember having film class at Turner Tech where you would do monologues. And you do the monologue, you just literally Describe it. You're literally doing poetry, stance, spoken word, more or less, in my in my eyes. Mm -hmm. So I would write these pieces and then have to perform them. So you kind of learn how to draw out that emotion wherever you're writing from. And I think learning how to dispel it that way was a good thing. Um, also, at the time, I played football. So yeah. that was a way to deter a lot of the anger that and frustration. Mm -hmm. So I calmed down a whole lot during that time period because I had ways to, you know, express it. Mm. And... Now that I've gotten deeper into poetry, I've gotten deeper into spoken word, now it's about just being able to expand my mind and think from different platforms. Uh, I don't know if people care about science, but I'm a Libra, so I always try to think about things from both sides. Right. So I don't even mind playing devil's advocate because I think um, there was a famous musician who said, we all have the capacity to be Jesus and Hitler in the same soul. Mm -hmm. So I try to think about things like, okay, what was this person thinking when they did this right. versus how this person is thinking when they do that, you know, and trying to always formulate different ideas and different concepts and then writing it down and learning how to express it. How do you come up with this way? How do I come up with a way to talk to you and express what's in the deepest, darkest, darkest recesses of my heart or my mind and then have you understand it and possibly connect with it, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I, I found love in that challenge. Um, also, I'm a big fan of chess. I want to form a chess club at some point for the community, mm -hmm. and I like to play against myself sometimes. I don't know if you ever seen the movie Fresh, where mm -hmm. the little boy he he learned from his dad to 
play chess. Every single day he would make one move. So he would make a move. Next day, he's the opponent, make another move. And he literally would battle himself and teach himself to think forward. That's, you, just, you just described life. Exactly. Like, you get it, man. You get it. You see what I mean? This is, why, this is why I rock with you, man. Like, it literally is a forward thinking, and that's how life should be. And that's one of the games that I think we should be pushing in schools. We don't, I don't think we push um, chess clubs enough. You need to teach these young people to think forward. How many steps can you go in your mind mm-hmm. to anticipate what's going to happen next? Mm-hmm. How can you, and how can you use that to your advantage? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think chess is one of those games that you teach it, it's fun, but then we start applying it later on without even realizing it. Yeah. So that's what I would want to happen in the next couple of years. Yeah, that's powerful. Yeah. You said Hitler and Jesus, like looking at the both spectrums. I think, and then this is this is this statement might be like, what? I think right. we both have a Hitler and a Jesus inside of us. Right. And that's just um, expanding that to like an extreme. But what I mean by that, we have a good and a bad self. Right. We have two people inside yeah, of us. Yeah, we get a yang. Sometimes you get yin and yang. Sometimes you look at yourself, you'll be like, I can't believe I did that. Who's the I you can't believe? Right, like, exactly. Like, so it's like when, when you find out the opposing forces and you realize like life is a chess game between the real self, your true self, and this other self. And then right. you're constantly trying to beat, you know, the one you don't want so you could be what you want. Right. And I think as we're younger, we, have, we tend to have that battle a lot more often because we, at a certain point, no matter how young you are, there's a certain point where you figure out what right and wrong is. Mm-hmm. But because you're young, we have that tendency to also be like, I don't care, I want to do this. Yeah. And that's the battle we begin to have. Once we figure out what right, right and wrong is, it's the battle to then accept what right and wrong is and go by that. Yeah. Being while we have the other side of ourselves that is that's strictly like, no, no, I know that's the right answer, but let's do this instead. It's a lot more fun or it's a lot more interesting to do it that way. I struggle with that a lot too, and I think a lot of young people struggle with that. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is that some young people don't have the guidance to, of someone to tell them, look, if you do it this way, these are the outcomes that are possible to happen. Right. We don't have anyone to give us the ideas of what can happen, the possible outcomes. And that's a bad thing. If you could at least have someone who can give you, a, I guess, an estimate or a ballpark of what could possibly be from the decision that you make, you would go a lot farther in life. Mm-hmm. And I think I had the fortune of having a good football coach who worked at the school that I worked at. I mean, who I, that I went to school at. So whenever bad things, I, it seemed like I was going down the wrong path. He would literally say, look, you're going to do this. This is likely going to happen. Mm-hmm. And after a while, as I started doing the things that he said, I was like, oh, shoot, he was right. Mm-hmm. You know, and continually growing from that to not make those decisions. Mm. And, and he was kind of like a mentor for you. Yeah, absolutely. So Definitely was a mentor for you. feel like it's me. really important to have a mentor as a young, young, young absolutely. man? Absolutely. Especially as a young man, to have a young male, a ment- a male mentor who actually gets it and isn't just talking. Right. Because sometimes we have people who who succeed in life, but they don't really understand the, the struggle that you yeah. go through. Because they didn't do it. They right. Didn't go it. They didn't have to go through that. Mm-hmm. They, they, they had it a little differently than you did, so they're going to talk from the standpoint that they had it at. Mm-hmm. When you have someone who has legit gone through the struggles that you have gone through growing up as a young man in a certain area of your life, for him to be able to help you distill some of those emotions, to break down some of those emotions so that you can make mm-hmm. the right decisions for yourself, because ultimately he wasn't the one out here making the decisions, you know. Mm-hmm. He was just the one who would give, who would guide you to the possible answers. Yeah, that's powerful. Because sometimes within our own households, mm-hmm. 
we can't find that sense of direction. Although yeah. we get it, um, but it's from a parent, uh, just an authoritarian standpoint. Like, you do what I say. Right. You follow the rules, which is like the same thing from school, from like the law. From, it's just like, you do what I say. You follow the rules. Nobody's saying, you develop yourself. Like, here's my experiences. Here's your experiences. Let's bridge those experiences. Let's build your character. Right. Especially in Haitian households. Yeah, especially in like... Haitian household. It's like, they're right. You're wrong. Right. Um, and it's that that's kind of a, a negative mindset because parents kind of see you how you've always been. They don't see you of how you can be. You know, right. I said Haitian parents. Or how you truly are. Right. You know, because it's like, oh, you, you do this, you do that. So, like, tell us about your environment growing up like how was it like in your household how was that that um that formula as you said that the first thing i thought about is the struggle that i have with now with looking people in their eyes mm-hmm. i don't know if you had that in haitian house in my haitian household my mom was like don't look don't look to, don't look us in our eyes yeah it. like i'm still learning how to undo the stare like yeah. I, I don't stare people in their eyes when they speak to me not because i don't like i don't respect them it's literally because i was trained to not look people in the eyes it's a slave mentality right that was the thing that my parents taught me that I'm. It's it's, it's old habits die hard, so it's yeah. gonna take a while before I break it. But that's something that the mentor now he's like, why aren't you looking me in my eyes when I'm talking to you? I'm like, mm-hmm. it's because I was taught not to do that. I was taught that was the wrong thing. Yeah. So now it's something that I'm growing with every single day. Um, it's some there are some experiences that you have as a kid that you realize. Now now I'm in a situation where I'm kind of stuck because I had this experience, you know what I mean? Um, my parents were never necessarily, like my family wasn't the lovey-dovey, Lovely, hug, yeah. we, everyone had dinner at the table type of family. Like uh, most <laughs> yeah, parents? Yeah, I, mean, I can't say most, Yeah, don't say but most. I can say a lot of people I talk to, they say that, you know? I, I used to think that too, but I also saw a lot of Those love other in other families. Oh, okay. So I always thought, okay, well, and it's not like a TV show where... It was like real families, like you know what I'm saying. It was I used not to be like, like Cosby, right? It Cosby wasn't a Cosby show. thing, but it was like, yo, this is genuine love there. Like, so there's a disconnect here in my family that I don't know, under really understand. And it didn't take me. It took me years to realize maybe just it just had a dysfunctional family, and that's okay. I'm not mad at my family for for anything like that. It's just that's just the way it was. Um, my parents were really aggressive. They were really strict about um, focusing on school, focusing mm-hmm. on not going out and wilding out in the streets. Of course, that was no fun. So as a young person, I would still go out mm-hmm. and go hang out all type, all times of night. And I got myself into a, little, a, a lot of interesting situations. I wouldn't say it was always trouble, but it was definitely enough of situations for me to learn that the world is a big place. Mm-hmm. The world is a big place and you may think you're 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 cool where you were at, but it's bigger than you. Mm-hmm. And I think the struggles that I've seen, the the things that I've seen other people going through, I realize it's bigger than me. I have I don't have it bad compared to some people. I don't have a struggle compared to some some of the people that I've seen who, where they live at, where they what they have to go through. The not even having both parents at home, maybe sometimes not having neither parents mm-hmm. at all, living with the grandparents. There's a big difference between what I I have, mm-hmm. and so I, I learned to be like grateful for what yeah. I did have. Yeah, you know? gratitude is important. Yeah, so I would say understanding that mm-hmm. your situation is not always the worst. It's not the absolute worst, you know. Yeah, and there's a lot of times like for me, 
you know, I go through some things or like, and then I'm like, okay, I have to, I have to shift perspective, you know, I have to take responsibility myself. And I do that as a mental switch. And, you know, I tell, I, I, I explain these things and tell them just so somebody could do it yourself. It's like shifting the responsibility from this person and not blaming yourself, but taking the responsibility, understanding what you can change and what you can't. Right. It, it, you know, it can be like, it can be as simple as for me, I'll tell you the experience that happened to me, like mm-hmm. um, being at home and not having a key to the house. You right. know? And it's like, yo, I live here, but I don't have a key to the house. And it was like, I, I, I showed up home and I can't get in the house. And right. they're like, you're, you're late, you're past curfew. I'm like, I'm a grown man. <laughs> what you mean I'm past curfew? So I get pissed. I'm like, I'm pissed. Like, I right. need to get in my house. Like, I was sleeping in my car one time, and I've never slept outside before. So I was right. really, like, I was really pissed at that circumstance. And I had to shift responsibility. I was like, well, yeah, you don't have the key to the house, but I'm not blaming myself, but it's your responsibility uh, to, right now, you should have an apartment. So what are you going to do now, proactive right. thinking, what are you going to do now to actually get out this house and get your yeah. own home? So it didn't, it didn't allow me not to blame myself, to blame the person less, but take responsibility to act right. and make, do an action. Yeah. So we're going to finalize the interview really quickly in a few. But my question to you is, when was a time that you went through a struggle, you know, with your parents or with, with, with some dissociation in the family? And you, you endured to the point where, you know, maybe like you had to sleep somewhere that's not in the house. And how did you shift, take responsibility and grow from that circumstance? Well, um, the truth is, uh, up until high school, the house that I mentioned on 87th Street, mm-hmm. I lived there up until high school. Then we moved to Miramar because, you know, most Haitians, whenever, whenever they feel like they got a certain money, uh, amount of money, it's time to move on up. Yeah. Miramar seems to be that place. So they moved to Miramar, and then my parents split up. My parents split up, and I watched my mom struggle, try to keep that house intact, but it got to a point where there were literal holes in the roof. So hurricane season had come. It was around 10th grade, sophomore year, so 2007. So it was literal hurricane. It was hurricane season. I literally would just watch rain just fall through the roof at the rate that it falls out inside, mm-hmm. outside. So, you know, like, if there's a crack in the roof, it's little drips, but mm-hmm. it was falling as if there was literally nothing to stop it. And it was multiple, like, areas in the house that had that. So, of, needless to say, we got evicted from that house and we moved to a house in um, near 111th and Northeast 6, Northwest 6th Ave, near the highway mm-hmm. by Barry University. So, if you ever seen that big Barry University yeah, sign, that, yeah. literally right. stayed, like, right next that, to that that's sign. That's my neighborhood. Uh, huh? <laughs> As your neighborhood, yeah. yeah, man, I love that area. I'm not gonna lie. Um, watching her struggle to keep keep up with the bills there, then watching her struggle to keep up with the bills at the very next house, where it turns out the person who had told, showed her the house was stealing the money from her, and just and the house had already been sold. So the people who really owned the house came one day and was like, "What are you guys doing here?" Mm-hmm. You know. And then from that point, we all kind of split up. And during that time period. Um, being accused of stealing money from my dad mm-hmm. and my dad literally spitting in my face like literal mm-hmm. physical spit and having to restrain my like people had to restrain me, like four or five people had to restrain me and for me i think i got to a point where it was you know what mckenzie this definitely is not a good situation for you 
-hmm. Being around this environment doesn't seem to work out. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you're at a, also at a point where there's nothing that they can do to, to help you. Mm -hmm. So what are you gonna do? Mm -hmm. You can't rely on that. You can't rely on that situation to change or get any better because right. that's who they are. They've lived their entire lives this way with this certain mindset. Your father did this to you, and that's the worst possible thing that you could do to your son. Tay. That's what you do to animals. That's what you do to the street. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. That's not what you do to another human being mm -hmm. unless you really don't have respect for that person. Mm -hmm. So now that that's been done, what are you going to do about it to separate yourself from the situation? And that's when I slowly but surely got on my grind to get away from all of that. Mm -hmm. um, I even spent some time where um, I, was, I was sleeping on the couch of, of a friend of a friend's house. And I stayed there for a little bit. And I left early because my apartment was getting ready. And I ended up sleeping in, like the, the uh, on the floor of an apartment that nobody knew I was in. Mm -hmm. So the apartment had been emptied, but it was literally just me there. And if anyone would have showed up, I would have been out on the streets. Mm -hmm. um, just getting to that point where it's like you kind of do what's necessary to make sure that you're good, and know that you don't ever want to return to that situation. I think that that not fear, but that knowing what that's the worst is like, mm -hmm. you will fight for your life to never go back to that. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Um, and I learned just, if you can control it, then you control it. If you can make that difference for yourself, then you fight with every ounce of your being to do that. That's powerful. Knowing what the worst is like, right. you fight your way to never go to that spot again. Absolutely. And that's what you're doing. That's what the movement is about. Right. That's why you're, you're thriving every day. That's, that's the thing is. Don't let that stop you. Let it urge you to act. Right. And, and this is why you started this whole movement. So with that being said, what would be your last final message to everybody watching today um, to urge them, to, to, to locate inside of them that unlimited potential that they have to achieve something more, to make a movement, to turn their pain into their passion and help their people and the people in their environment. Progress? So I would tell you that the moment your spirit is, you always be connected to your spirit. Your spirit will tell you when you're onto something. And the moment you realize you're, that you're onto something, continue to explore what that sensation is, no matter what it is. I realized I had a, I re, had a real knack for writing as I was writing small little stories and it was just certain thoughts and concepts that I would write down and that I would look back at them probably a month or two later and say, this is a really interesting concept. It wasn't necessarily somebody who was telling me that it was good, but it was something that when every time I went back to look at it, it stood out to me in a different way. You know what I mean? So whatever your passion may be, um, whether it may be um, writing, whether it may be music, whether it may be art. I know someone who that we're going to be celebrating real soon, shout out to Tron, who makes his own scented candles. That's not something you could just necessarily pick up. He had to go through the process of learning that he had a knack for this, this ability, like he had an ability for this. As he was doing, he realized I was onto something and now he's created a business out of it. So I encourage anyone, the moment you realize that you have a certain passion, that you have a certain connection to something that you're doing, explore that with every fiber of your being. Put your soul into it, even if it's for six months, just to see what comes out of it you will be amazed at the results. It's almost like gardening. You have to take the time to actually take care of that plant and water it and watch it grow to see whether or not you're an actual gardener, right? Mm -hmm. So always take that approach. I promise you, you will not be disappointed with the results. Mm. You know, I would sum that up as like, pick up the strands of the past pains and turn that into the fiber to build the fabric of your life. 
and empower and you know create your image you know so okay. that was powerful what you just said was powerful. I'm gonna say that after you just dropped that little poetry bomb on us like that <laughs> Reflection, I just man. took I just took what you said. Nah, you flipped it. You saw that <laughs> up, man. Don't do that. I like that, man. I like Thank that, you bro. so much for being on the show, brother. Sure, sure, that man. was that was this was powerful, man. I'm <laughs> telling you, you just touched the lives of you know a couple thousands, millions of people watching this, right? So, and I want to thank you so much for tuning into the Unlimited Power Show. Thank you, uh, before we go, how can people follow you? How can people support you? Uh oh, here we go. Follow me at Fat Swaggy Bastard. Yes, that's what I said. And you can follow the Become a Threat movement, which is B-A-T-M online. And we are out here. We are out here trying to help. So if you are interested in buying a shirt, you can go to the, the Instagram page and go to the website, purchase a shirt, make your, make your orders, and let us know. And, and I want to thank you so much for tuning in to the Unlimited Power Show. My name is Edward Giles. And I want to remind you that you have the unlimited power, the unlimited potential to achieve whatever it is that you want. But first you must believe it before it can become a reality. Or else the world will forever miss your talents, your gifts, and all the great things that you have to offer. If you're watching this from all the islands around the world, I want to make sure that you go ahead and follow us at the Unlimited Power Show and follow me at CEO Ambitions. And if you know someone that should be on this show, to share their story, if that's you, email us at unlimitedpowershow at gmail.com. With that being said, you have a wonderful rest of your day, wonderful rest of your life. Thank you. I want to remind you that you have unlimited power within you to achieve whatever it is that you want and to construct the person you want to be. But first, you must believe it in order to achieve it. And until that happens, the world will forever miss your talents, your gifts, and all the great things that you have to offer. So let your light shine, don't hide it, don't dim it. Thank you. Find Ed Talks Daily on your favorite podcast app and be sure to leave your thoughts in the form of review. Until next time, remain in your unlimited power.